This is a moment in wine and hip hop, brought to you by Crew Love, blending wine and hip hop at the highest level. Wine and hip hop, wine and music. Tell me about it. Check this out. Oh yeah. You'll be the life of the party. Wine and hip hop really mirrors the the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. What's up, guys? It's your man, Jermaine Showtime Stone, a.k.a. The Wolf of Wine, a.k.a. The Zara Vibes, a.k.a. Young Thanos. I'm just out here collecting Infinity Stones, bringing y'all another amazing show. I have the man, the myth, the legend, Baxter Holmes, senior NBA writer for ESPN. Baxter, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, man. It's it's a lot to live up to that introduction. That's for sure. <laughs> man, you live in it, man. You are you are. Li- I gotta say, you got you have a pretty impressive track record, man. I, I I think that I'd feel comfortable to say that you are definitely one of the leading sports journalists out there right now. Your style is so unique. You know, I love that you focus on articulating NBA lifestyle. We learn a lot about the players off the court through um, through your work. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, man, I, ha- I have so much respect for what you do. And I love the fact that you're bringing wine culture up and, and highlighting what that's doing to the NBA. I really think that does that does a lot. So we. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that, man. I mean, look, I, I'm just an observer. It's happening. And uh, I think a lot of people could be highlighting it and pointing it out. It just so happens to be me. So, you know, I'm just. A, yeah, that's it. But I'm, I'm happy to highlight it for sure. There's great stories out there. Now, it's interesting because so you've written uh, um, now a few stories about um, about the NBA, the NBA and wine. Um, are you, I would assume that you're a pretty big wine guy yourself. You know, initially I, I wasn't, and I, I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, some people have asked me before, like, did you take this on because you were into wine? And the answer is no. Like I, I just kept noticing I back in 2017 that players were posting more about wine on social media. We're talking about wine in post game interviews. Um, you know, where if they were investing and in, in getting their own wine labels, and it really seemed like there was a movement afoot. Um, and I was interested in in why it was. What what was it about wine that that these guys were so interested in? And, and was it was it that uh, you know they were they was there a genuine passion there? Like I don't think anybody's necessarily interested in people who have money who are buying expensive things, whatever the field is, right? I don't. You know, that I don't know that that's particularly interesting, but I started to get the sense that there might be like a real genuine passion and curiosity to learn about this really vast, really complex thing that basically dates back to the beginning of civilization. And uh, so, you know, I made some initial, I talked to my editors about it and made some initial kind of calls to people in the wine community. And sure enough, they said like, yeah, these guys are really, you know, they're not just buying trophy wines like the hot really high-end bottles they're really wanting to learn they're wanting to understand you know different regions different styles uh uh you know things about the terroir and the whole winemaking process like they're really wanting to get in the nitty-gritty of it this isn't just kind of a um kind of uh, passers-by kind of interest for them and 
that's when I, I so that's that's when that started for me. So and then I but I almost didn't take the story, the initial story on, which ended up becoming an ESPN the magazine feature because I felt intimidated by wine. You know, I didn't know anything about it. I knew there was like red, white, and another kind that has bubbles in it, <laughs> but um, I couldn't pronounce a lot of it. It and it felt to me wine felt really intimidating um, because it seems like this thing. You know, there's master sommeliers, there's people who know it and they're like the Navy seals of wine and everybody else, you know, I just, and I thought like by trying to write about wine that I just make a ton of mistakes and would make myself look foolish. So, but I knew there was a good story there. So in the end, I had a lot of people really helped me painstakingly answering a million questions um, to try to guide me along. But then along the way, I know this is a long answer, but along the way, what I realized is that because storytelling is my thing. That's what I love. It's my passion. Like right. the, the art of storytelling, the craft of it. And I learned that every bottle is in its own way a story. It's a story of, you know, that year and what the weather was like. Uh, you know, it's a story about the people that made it. Um, it's a story about that place. Um, and, and in a way, it's kind of a time capsule of all those things. Yeah. Uh, so every, every wine is, is in its own way, kind of a story. And I got attracted to some of those stories and have been fortunate to meet a lot of people through wine. And I, as much as sports brings people together, I don't know if it does quite in the way that wine does. So it's been quite a journey these past few years for me. Mm, that that's really cool. So, so covering the NBA's love for wine really sparked a love for wine in you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's well said, and and that's that's succinctly it. I mean, I I didn't know anything about it beforehand; wasn't necessarily interested in it. Um, but you know, I've been fortunate to try some some nice wines since uh, because of the generosity of some some very kind folks, and have you know uh, uh, started collecting you know some bottles here and there, and have really connected nice. with a lot of people, just good friends, you know, through wine. So it's been. Again, something I never saw coming. Um, I've written about a, a lot of different things in my in my career, but uh, this has been something that's really given back to me in a in a way that I never anticipated. That's awesome, man. I'm I'm so glad to hear that. We we got into so much. I have to introduce the wine and hip hop community to your hip hop side. They know Baxter Holmes, a journalist, but they don't know your rap spirit animal. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if you could pick a, a, a rap spirit animal, a rapper that embodied your spirit, your style, um, what rapper would that be? Well, you know, it's a, I mean, I mentioned earlier kind of the storytelling aspect, which has kind of always been my passion, but I, it takes me back actually to the question takes me back to the person who, uh, introduced me to the genre. And this was when I was living in southeastern Oklahoma, where I grew up, went to high school, all that. And so many of our, I played on the basketball team, and so many of our bus rides to play in these other small towns, whatnot, we were always listening to Tupac. And I remember <laughs> staring outside of the windows, like, you know, really open, rural country, and listening to him and uh, tell stories, basically, about all kinds of things. They'll never take me alive, I'm getting high with my profile Cocked on these suckers, time to die Even as a youngster, causing buckets on the back of the bus I was a fool all through high school Kicking up dust, but now I'm labeled as a troublemaker Who can you blame? Smoking weed, help me take away the bank So I'm hopeless And at that time, I wasn't really thinking of becoming a writer um, 
you know, that wasn't necessarily on my radar, but I had always loved writing and reading and kind of the art of storytelling. It was underneath the surface, but I listened to so much of him. And then lo and behold, I ended up after graduating from college, Oklahoma, moving to Los Angeles. And so many of the stories that I've heard him, you know, rap about when I was young were about the place that unbeknownst to me, I was going to end up living <laughs> uh, and have spent the majority of my, my adult life. I've been in LA for about 10 years now, basically since graduating college. And so, you know, he, as I said, he introduced me to the genre, but he also introduced me to the play, place where I would live and kind of forge most of my career. So, and, and I will also say at a lot of NBA games, um, you know, I still, you hear his music playing during warmups. Um, you might hear it, you know, in the locker room after games. I feel like that's especially true for the California teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's been there from since I was, I mean, gosh, I, cu- I couldn't even tell you how young I was even before <laughs> I was even in high school, really. Wow. And, and still to this day. So that's, if I was to pick one, and again, as I've come to really um, understand some of the finer points of storytelling, it's like you go back and listen to any of the songs and you really pick up nuances. You pick up like the skill of being able to convey so much and so, and so little. And, you know, the difference between choosing like the, a, a word that's good and like the perfect word. Yeah. And so the skill and talent there is just incredible. And I've, the utmost reverence for like writing and storytelling at that high of a level. It's really an art form. You know, one of Pac's uh, best attributes was his ability to convey the passion of his words. Like everything he said, you believed it. If he was angry, you felt his anger and he was the most angry person you've ever seen. (laughs) You know, if he was sad, you know, Brenda's got a baby. I mean, come on, that that in itself. Um, but yes, man. So Tupac, I, I got to say, live and die in L.A., I, I get it, man. Uh, <laughs> I get it. And he was, I, to, to something that you just mentioned, too, I think that the passion and emotion, I think that it also strikes me now, you know, at, at a time like this, um, you know, historic social justice movement, I feel like so much of what he was saying and so many of his songs were like, they were true then they were true now. Like he was kind of fighting in some ways uh, like an eternal fight to yeah. try to get people to listen, to care, to believe. And, you know, so many of those, woo- I mean, he was very like, he was speaking not just for his time, but for like so much of time. Right. And that, and that's especially true now. And so, yeah, but like, I mean, as you said, the, the passion, the, emotion the conviction all of it is just you know he he was singular yeah he was amazing he was an amazing writer um it, it's funny like you know with with your when when your article dropped was uh, well pardon me when the article about uh the nba secret wine society dropped it was also around i was at that point pretty deep into getting the wine and hip hop movement off the ground. And every conversation I had with someone, they would mention this great ESPN article that talked about the (laughs) NBA's love for wine, (laughs) you know, and the NBA players love for wine and seeing like, yeah, like really this wine and hip hop thing is coming together. I see a lot of NBA guys into it. Now, why, 
do you feel that so many people connect the NBA's culture with hip hop culture? Oh man, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think so many, I think there's like, there's intense mutual respect for each other on both sides of it. And I think that mm-hmm. goes, I think that goes back, I mean, decades. I mean, trace it back to the beginning of, of sport, maybe. I don't know. But I feel like that's so ingrained in it. There's such mutual respect for, um, you know, I think there's an old, there's a, I don't want to say it's an old phrase, but I feel like it's a phrase that's been around for a long time about rappers wanting to be ballers and ballers want to be rappers. Yeah, yeah. I watched everything change in the blink of an eye. Rappers want to be ballers, ballers want to be rappers. When the liquor endorsements worth more than your masters. But, yeah, but I think, you know, I think that, I think a lot of that stuff goes hand in hand. I think that there's just, you know, like, yeah, like, I think that people, on on one side of it just respect how hard it is and to really kind of rise up to be among the world's best you know there's only 450 nba players like you're they're really the top one percent of basketball players in the world and i think they have the utmost respect for people just in that community period whether it's winemakers whether it's musicians whether Mm -hmm. it could be anything you know fashion designers um you know people in tech or in finance um, you know, I can go on and on. Um, but, but I think one of the first ones there was definitely in music. And, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting. And, and I do think in a way, I mean, to kind of bring this full circle, I do think mm-hmm. that some of the four, uh, the, the kind of the ways in which uh, hip hop culture, uh, started driving closer to wine or becoming more interested in wine or like i think that actually helped push the mba honestly Mm -hmm. to become more passionate and interested in those things i think that i i don't i think that there's you know several things that have helped driven the nba wine movement but i do think that the co and somebody said that to me early on actually just that you know like guys like jay-z who i'm told has an amazing palette is uh a really 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 knowledgeable guy like i i talked to a sommelier at a, at a high-end place once and he just said like you wouldn't believe how smart jay-z is about wine and i wasn't i was like i, I wouldn't be surprised by that like he's brilliant as he is i wouldn't be surprised he's brilliant at wine <laughs> right. i mean it does take an investment to, to really learn about wine but i do think like when you guys come together if they're coming together over a dinner table i think guys want to be able to to you know if, if jay-z knows a ton about like grand Cru burgundy and you know, like certain great producers of Barolo or, you know, whatever the case may be. I think if I, if I'm on the other side of that table I, and I want to kind of rise up to that level, I'd probably recognize that I need to start educating myself on that stuff too. That, that is a, such a great point. You know, I, I also think, I feel like there, there, there came a point when hip hop culture really dominated a lot of the player culture in the NBA. And I feel like that started with Iverson. Like as soon as Iverson came in with braids and tats, every player had braids and tats. And I mean, it wasn't happening before. It was like a statement to wear baggy shorts. (laughs) No, no, it's a great point. And, um, you know, he was such an iconic beloved figure. I mean, it, it, and, and, I mean, I do. I was just, I was talking to somebody yesterday just about him, but I mean, the, and the ways in which he was revered, I would think also as a, as a player who 
it, it felt like he walked from the from the playground into the NBA, kind of really? with his style, with yep. his look, and but he played with such a fer- a ferocious toughness. Like if you go back and watch um, how many times during a particular game he would hit the floor or be knocked down, or I think there was even I want to say during the O one finals when they were playing the Lakers, there was some graphic they showed on the screen of how many injuries he had uh, and played through that season. Like it was it was incredible. So. He was such, um, and even talking to play, I remember I was at a, I think I was in Toronto and during the all-star game, whatever, a handful of years ago, within this past decade. And, uh, there was a, there was a, I was a, it was an all-star party and then Alan, I, and a bunch of players were there. A bunch of people were there, but when Alan Iverson walked in, like late at night, it was like the whole tenor of the room changed, Wow. you know, like the, and he was there, I think there was going to, I can't remember, I think he was there just to play cards and like see some folks or whatever, but like everybody got so excited to see him, to hug him, to get a photo with him, to talk to him for a few seconds. Like the whole atmosphere was just different. So yeah, I mean, it, it did, I mean, he, his impact on the league can't be overstated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I always, I've always thought about that. And honestly, like that is always the first thing well for like a two years it was like the first thing that that people said as soon as as soon as i mentioned wine wine and hip-hop man so that's interesting to see but like you have a way of highlighting things about nba culture that most people wouldn't know um mm. i loved <laughs> the piece about peanut butter and jelly i had no <laughs> i had no clue and and Congrats on the James Beard Award, of course. Um, Thank you, man. But, but I had no clue that PBJ was such a serious part of the NBA. And I, I feel like the fact that you you covered the same thing with wine, you have to be getting to know these guys pretty well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you have been able to develop your relationship with players? And are there any players that stood out more than others? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I'd say is is I'm often thinking about, in terms of stories, um, like, I know that, that people who are sports fans and NBA fans are going to read about them because they're just interested. You know, it's, it's, in their, it's in their wheelhouse, so to speak. But I, I, want the, I want the larger audience. And the largest audience is just human stories. It's, you know, stories about just, like, kind of the things that unite us all because – I don't have a lot in common with basketball players. Like they're incredibly famous. They are in the very top 1% of what they do. They're incredibly large human beings. There's not even, I mean, just the, the size of these guys, the athleticism, the talent, the skill um, it's on a level and, and the wealth obviously in the same, like there's very few elements of society where like if it was a Venn diagram where anybody can connect with him. So I'm often thinking like, what are the levels of uh where we're all kind of on an equal playing field and those guys find it refreshing just to talk about something you know if you they get asked the same question all the time like you know and i understand why they get asked some of these questions i'm not saying how i feel about them necessarily but you know if they're just getting asked about their performance in a particular game well games happen all the time and they play a certain certain way or whatever it gets to be really repetitive but when you're able to ask them about something that maybe has a little bit deeper meaning to them 
or the why of it um, or what it provides them or something, you can actually, excuse me, take the conversation in a little bit different way and maybe get to know them on a level that's more interesting and real. Your most recent article um, talked about wine life in the NBA bubble. We are in crazy unprecedented times. I would have much preferred for this interview to be in person, <laughs> but yeah. that's, that's the world that we live in. Like sports, all sports have been trying to get it right, but I feel like the NBA and the WNBA really, and the NHL as well, um, have, have been doing the right thing, uh, working with the bubble. And talking about life in the bubble, I would have never thought about wine first. Now, mm. you got a chance to get, well, we all got a chance to get really inside info on what wine life is like in the bubble. Um, what was your experience like putting that story together? Because, I mean, one of the, one of the main things that um, stand out to me with your writing is you can, there is so much detail in there. I can't even imagine how much research you do before a story, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, I was initially talking to people. I think I noticed it again, kind of like before that players were kind of posting about it. Um, it seemed like it a pretty frequent clip clip. And so I was interested in kind of just seeing what's there. And this is, I mean, in my line of work this is what you do. Sometimes you just, you kind of investigate a little bit, so to speak, to see if there's a, um, a thoughtful story there, if there's a good story there, or, you know, maybe you look in and it's like, ah, oh, there's not, it's not, it's like one guy or one small thing or something. It's, I, I mean, I don't know. So, um, yeah. So I noticed that, that a handful, of, and I knew obviously from my own work before that wine was a big deal in the NBA. Um, so I presumed that it would, that it would carry over in the bubble, but you never really know to how much degree. But the interesting thing was, was when I started talking to people, they would just, they would emphasize how they were alone uh, for so much of the day, spending so much of it in their hotel rooms mm. and being able to open a bottle of wine and socially distanced, you know, share it with someone at the end of the day, like a teammate or whatever was really restorative, you know, just to have like good conversation and human interaction um, was something they, they really, you know, on a restrictive campus during a pandemic, during, you know, all these things that are going on, being far away from friends and family and potentially being there for, I think, minimum five weeks, um, that it was in some ways about mental health for them. And mm -hmm. I had initially heard from a general manager, he made the point to me that he thought that meals and, and, you know, stuff that would help provide normalcy and comfort were going to be especially important in this kind of environment. And so I had a hunch that wine might be a thing, but like it wasn't until I ended up talking to a couple of people who were in charge of all the shipments coming in to the bubble when they said that like, yeah, they're noticing as much wine as anything or like wine related things, not only for players, but for staffers, for even media that I thought like, oh, there's a really good story here. So that's kind of the genesis of it. And then it was just a matter of, you know, trying to do thoughtful interviews with people, be able to get whatever kind of information I could, hoping I could get to it first before other people, particularly people who are there, get to it. Um, right. But uh, that's kind of how that that all started, and um, you know, it was it was a lot of fun to work on. The reception was cool, um, and 
I, but the takeaway for me was just, they are, again, they're far from home. They're far from friends and family. They're on this restrictive campus during a pandemic. They're trying to, you know, keep this bubble virus free, which is hard to do when you have 1400 people in a state with exploding cases and playing basketball at the highest level after being off for five months. You know, it's, it's a really unprecedented historic and in many ways, just really, really difficult situation to be in. So, you know, the, the, I think for a lot of people, wine, wine can be something of an escape and ability to connect with people. But when you're in a situation that um, they're in, I think it's maybe in some ways even more important. Right. Right. No, it, it really made me think about like, cause I feel like the life inside the bubble is so mysterious. Like to me, it feels like basketball camp, <laughs> you know, like that's what I think it looks like in my head. But, um, you know, at basketball camp, we didn't like pour Lafitte and Petrus for each other. So <laughs> slightly, slightly different, man. This, this is funny, man. So I've seen Mello. I've seen, I know CJ McCollum actually has a wine. Um, I've seen LeBron. Uh, who would you say is the biggest NBA wine connoisseur? I feel like you have a large, a wide view on who that could be. Yeah. The, I mean, in terms of players, the guy who I would focus on is Carmelo Anthony. He's been into it for, you know, I mean, seriously been into it dating back to his time in Denver. Um, and it picked up a lot for him when he was in um, New York and terminating with, you know, high end collectors and connoisseurs and going to, you know, very special dinners and learning a lot. And he's really interested in luxury goods by the, you know, just in general, whether it's painting or uh, sorry, just like artwork or, you know, high end scars or things like that. So, He's just, he's interested in, in learning about luxury items and, um, or luxury goods. Uh, so he has a very, uh, very deep knowledge and understanding of wine and, um, especially in the old world, you know, the King is, is a Spurs coach, Greg Popovich. who has been into <laughs> wine seriously for like 50 years. Um, you know, he's had everything and knows everything and is considered like the master sommelier of the league. Even master sommeliers speak of him as like one of their own because he's wow. just, he knows everything. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people, you know, Jimmy Butler knows a lot. You know, LeBron obviously knows a lot. Dwayne Wade who's now retired knows a lot. You know, CJ McCollum has his own label. Uh, Steph Curry, I think has his own label or maybe yeah. it's with his wife, Aisha. So, yeah. um, you know, Chris Paul knows a lot. Like, you know, you could, I mean, J.J. Reddick and Josh Hart is learning a lot. Uh, you know, J.J. Reddick is really deep into it and knows a lot. Yeah, that's um, what it seems like. You could throw, yeah, I mean, you could throw a rock and almost, you know, I've heard guys like T.J. McConnell and Doug McDermott, you know, Tobias Harris. Um, again, you could throw a rock in almost every direction. And that's just like players. I mean, you know, coaches, staffers, whoever else. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you'd be hard pressed on any team not to find people who are, really seriously into it. Mm, mm, mm. Qu- question of the day, man. Who do you who do you see taking it all home this year? This is a this is a weird season. Yeah, um that's a good question. Uh if everyone I'll stick with who I picked at the beginning. I mean, 
the, the big qualifier here is like who's healthy, you know, both physically um, because of injury or if it's, you know, if there's like an outbreak with the virus. Um, but I picked the, the Clippers over the Bucks uh, in the NBA finals at the beginning of the year. I picked them before the bubble started. I'll pick them again for this situation. Um, I, the Clippers are incredibly deep. They have, you know, tremendous defenders on the wing and uh, the perimeter and, and obviously, you know, some amazing two-way players and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And often, you know, anytime in the playoffs, you have to, I, I ask myself, like, is this other team good enough to beat this team four times in seven games, mm. you know, in a, in a seven game series. And I don't see a team right now. I see a team, you know, the Bucks could take two or three, maybe. But I think if, if everybody's healthy and on the level playing field, I don't see the Clippers being beat. Um, mm. But I mean, look, it's a really unique situation and it'll really, this will, this whole thing will really test people, you know, make no mistake. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see two months in who, who the last team standing will be. Yeah, seriously, man. I mean, I put it to you this way. I'm wearing the Lakers Jersey right now. So, you know, my heart's breaking every day. <laughs> yeah. Yo, it, it's hard, man. I, I, I got, I have faith in the King though. I have faith in the King. I think. Oh, he's an amazing, I mean, look, he's an amazing player. And, um, you know, every year people say don't count him out and he proves them right because he consistently makes it to the finals and whatnot. The West is obviously very difficult. And his journey, his journey there to the, the finals will be, um, you know, very difficult. I don't know, as we're recording this, I think it, there's the potential that they're going to have to play Portland in the first round. And Portland's just on fire right now. So that would be an amazing, amazing first round series. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – look, after months away and with everything going on, it's nice to have basketball again. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, my gosh. And it's like a savior. More than anything – yeah, and more than anything, I mean, what I wanted when the season began, just like the fan in me, I wanted an all-LA Western Conference Finals. And I hope we get it. Mm. I hope that it lives up to the expectations. I hope it's a seven-game series. I hope every game is, like, incredibly exciting um, and and lives up, honestly, to some of what were their, their playoff – or they were it was, like, playoff-like intensity when during some of their regular season matchups before the season shut down. So – that's what I hope we get to see. I'm crossing my fingers for it. Nah, that 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 will be cool. I don't know if it's just me or James Harden's handle got better over the over this whole thing. <laughs> like it's like a yo-yo at this point. He is mm-hmm. unconscious, you know. Um, so I like the I like the the Rockets too. Um, yeah, dude, they're going to be incredibly tough. I mean, the whole West is the yeah. West is always tough. Um, the West is strong. I do think that after several months off, the guys are, I mean, I, I honestly think guys are a little bit fresher. Um, you know, there's no travel involved. Um, uh, so it's, it's uh, th- look, the early days of the bubble, I mean, we're like, uh, we're like a, the playoffs are going to start, I think, next week, the first round. The basketball has been very crisp. Uh, the play has been at a very high level. There have been some incredibly thrilling games. Um, so it's been, it's been awesome to see. This is wild, man. And like, what is it like for you to sit back and reflect and say like, wow, my job is to cover the NBA. 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, oftentimes I'm so focused on the stories I'm working on that I don't really take a step back to think about it. I mean, even when like I'm interviewing the player, I'm not necessarily thinking, you know, like, oh, this guy is, you know, an amazing basketball player or something like that. I'm honestly just thinking about like the story and trying to listen to their answers to ask the very best questions that can, you know, be the most, you know, hopefully produce the most insightful answers and and ultimately lead the best stories. So like, I'm just so thinking about the nitty gritty and the details of what it takes to do my job uh, at a high level, but I'm not really, you know, kind of going at a 30,000 foot view. Like I definitely understand that ESPN is a huge megaphone, that uh, the NBA is incredibly popular. Um, you know, I see that with respect to the feedback and, you know, the traffic on the, on the stories and how well they do uh, from time to time. So that's cool. And I don't take that lightly. Um, but I mean, when I'm in the thick of it, I'm, I'm definitely only thinking, I mean, I, I know this sounds cliche. Like you hear players say, we're taking it one game at a time, whatever, but like I'm taking it almost one question at a time mm-hmm. or, you know, if I'm writing, I'm taking it one paragraph at a time. Like I'm trying to get the best information so I can build the best story. And it, it, in some ways I try to keep it that simple. I'm not thinking about too much beyond that. Are you a white or red guy? That's tough. Um, that's really tough. I mean, you know, I, my favorite, if you were to say like one style, just period, mm-hmm. I would probably pick champagne. Um, it, it goes with everything, always makes everybody happy. Um, it's, you know, it's great at the beginning of the meal, at the end of the meal or all throughout the meal. Like it's just, it's so versatile. Um, I, so it'd be hard to pick. Uh, I look, I love, I love a lot of, uh, you know, a great Italian wine. I mean, I, uh, mm. that's a huge thing for me. White Burgundy is awesome. Um, yeah. You know, it's hard, I, it's hard I, to yeah, get past white Burgundy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great. Like, you have a great white Burgundy. It's like you're kind of ruined at that point. Um, <laughs> so, I, how about this? Here's what I'd say. If you were to say to me, like, you know, Desert Island or something like that. One right. of my friends said this once because I asked him, like, what was his you know, if he had to pick one kind of style. And he said, how about this? I'll just pick a grape. And he picked uh, the, um, he picked the Chardonnay grape. He said, because I still want to be able to have white burgundy and I still want to be able to have champagne. And with that grape, I can do both. The same is actually is true of Pinot. Like you can have mm. great red burgundy, you know, great new world Pinot, certainly. And you can have Blanc in the water champagne. So, um so yeah, I would go either the, the Chardonnay grape or the Pinot grape, but I mean, it's, it's hard to choose, man. There's gorgeous wines from all over the world. I feel like there's still a ton that I don't know and a, tons of places I want to experience and enjoy. I'm, I'm right now, I'm pretty interested in wines from Sicily and around Mount Etna. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a ton. I mean, as you know, wine is like infinite. It goes on forever. Yeah, man. It's just like learning about wine. You learn about the people, you learn about the culture, you learn about the world. It's not just, grapevines there's so much more to no, it oh yeah you learn about history you you learn about yeah you, i mean civilizations like empires and i mean you can tell i mean and, and i mean th- this goes back to kind of some of the things i've learned in writing about it like wine in some ways can teach you almost everything you want to know either mm-hmm. about um a place the people there uh the, the their culture um it's just, it's so unique in that way. And it's eternal. Like it's been around forever. It's like one of the through lines through the story of society. 
right. um, you know, across all, across so many different cultures. Right, right. No, man, it's, it's so true. It's a big part of, and you know, you touched on how the, the NBA connects people, how wine connects people. It's, it's literally why this show exists to talk about how hip hop connects people as well. Um, so it's just, it's just funny that all these cultures blend together in a nice mesh, you know? So yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. It does. And and look, I think, um, you know, like if you think about a concert or something like that and you get all these different walks of life that, you know, come to it because they really like this artist or that style of music or whatever, I've, I've seen that at the table when it comes to wine. So they're very, they're two very, very unique um, things in that way. Uh, I guess you could call them art forms, really. I mean, if you want to talk about like great winemaking, but yeah. they're very, very unique in that way. Um, and their ability to bring all kinds of different people together from different walks of life who may have nothing really in common beyond their appreciation of you know, <laughs> that, that wine or that thing. music. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the way that connects them. And, and in a way, it, it's a great reminder of like, you know, how we're all human in some ways. Absolutely. It's, it's what we do with wine, man. It's what we do with wine and hip hop. <laughs> um, but dude, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for sticking with us. Um, I greatly appreciate it and congrats on all the success. It is so well-deserved. Oh, that means a lot, man. I mean, look, I, I, I've been fortunate to, been able to get to some of these stories and and every, you know i have a ton of people who helped me along the way from the people who i asked a million questions of during the interview process to background to great editors and all kinds of stuff like that so you know i'm just i feel i feel really fortunate and uh that people <laughs> seem to read these stories so i'm gonna try to keep it going <laughs> dope man i got one tip for you on on the on the go out um you want to be the man in the locker room, show up with a bottle of Lambrusco to go with that, with those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Perfect, I, you know what? perfect pairing. Somebody <laughs> told me that once um, because I, where was it? I think it was like after one of my wine stories came out and the peanut butter and jelly story was still kind of popular. And they, they had messaged me about that. And so that they're, and I, that's kind of been a thing that I've learned about more and been really interested in this pairing. And so you know, like whatever I'm eating now, like, okay, well, this would go really well with this. And man, that takes the whole meal experience to a whole other level. But yeah, somebody did, I think it was a sommelier at a restaurant I know, um, messaged me and said, you know, like Lynn Brusco and PB&J, like they're made for each other. Yeah, man, um, definitely. And, uh, I haven't actually tried it, but I have no doubt that the flavors <laughs> and the everything work. I mean, I, and I really like Lynn Brusco in and of itself. So I'm sure that it will go you know, that it would go well with that. I need to, I need to get, put that on my calendar and make that happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. Look, dude, please, if there's anything that I can ever do, don't hesitate, man. I'm a big fan. And um, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. This was a moment in wine and hip hop brought to you by Crew Love.